here we are three months in our journey, which is uh, three years uh, in, the, in the time frame of Jesus and his disciples. And the three years of his earthly ministry and the three months that we've been following along has been building up to this event of him entering into Jerusalem. And here we are finally at that Sunday. Now, if you have any traditional church uh, experience, uh, none is required, by the way, if you want to worship here. But if you do have some, uh, you would probably at this point, the children would start coming in and singing Hosanna and, and taking uh, palm fronds. Uh, which uh, it's probably a fire hazard, but but dropping according to Chuck Norris, not Chuck Norris, uh, <laughs> maybe according to him too. Uh, I was going to just bust into some Chuck Norris jokes, but I am going to frame. And uh, Charles Bronson, yeah, isn't that like when I first like came to Florida and I found out that Charles Bronson was like the commissioner or whatever he is, I was like, wow, man, that's hardcore, that's good. But he's coming in and uh, laying the palm fronds and, and all of that kind of stuff and, and spent a lot of time on that. Well, that's not what we are doing here today. Uh, uh, that that he, he comes in and, and, and we know that and, and uh, he comes in on a donkey and that is a, a fulfillment of prophecy that the coming Messiah was going to ride in on a donkey. And, and if you remember leading up to this point that Jesus has been really preparing the disciples of what is going to happen once they get to Jerusalem. And they come in and, and the streets are lined with, with people singing Hosanna and and putting their cloaks down in front of the donkey as he, as he walks in. And after this big parade, and this is where I want to pick up, in verse 11 it says, So, Jesus came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple. Now after this big climax, check out what happens next. After looking around carefully at everything... He left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with his 12 disciples. <sighs> really? I mean, all this preparation to get to Jerusalem, big parade. We expect something big to happen, right? But his first day, he gets there, he's like, yeah, it's late in the afternoon. Walk around the temple. I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to talk about much or anything really according to, to Scripture. I'm just going to look around at everything, which for those of you like me who have a really short attention span, that would probably like really get under my, my goat. I remember uh, uh, about 10 years ago, I was fishing up in Alaska with some friends, and they're like uh, polar opposites. Uh, um, the, the first guy who I was up there with, he, he's the kind of guy that like we'd be driving uh, somewhere, and the first part of my trip was with him, and we'd be driving somewhere, and, and he'd be like, stop, stop the car, and I'm like, okay, and you know, he'd pull over, and he'd get out, I'm like looking for grizzly or moose or, or, or something cool, and he's like, 
look at this leaf. And like he would get out his camera and like take pictures of leaves. No, I'm like, really? I mean, that's great. And then the other guy came and then it was just like, pedal metal like no time for leaves and, and and everything we're just like where's the fish out nail it nail it nail it and I'm somewhere in between there uh but but I can imagine like uh you know just somebody you're standing you're expecting all this and and walking to the temple this just mental picture in my mind of of the parade and you're expecting you know Jesus has been preparing he's walking around he's like yep fair good doesn't say anything, and then he's like, yeah, let's go. All right. So something's going on here. He's like investigating. He's seeing something. In verse 12, the next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf and a little way off. So he's coming out. He's hungry. He's looking at a fig tree. Now, we are going to enter into what I call kind of a uh, a parable and then a reality uh, sandwich where Mark is, is going to kind of give us a, 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 a picture of something that Jesus does. Then we're going to flash into uh, kind of a reality of the situation. Then he is going to end up and kind of close the sandwich here. And this is kind of uh, the, the, the story of the fig is one of these things that I, quite honestly, I was trying to think about. It. I have never heard a pastor teach on this. Maybe you have, but it's not. Usually on Palm Sunday, we get the mule or the donkey and the palm fronds and all that kind of stuff, but we don't get this story about the fig. And uh, I have some thoughts upon that, but here it is. He's going and he finds the fig. He goes, he goes over to that tree, but he could not find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. Scripture tells us in other places in far along that he actually curses the tree. I mean, this is not kind of your your happy, clappy Jesus. This isn't line up necessarily with the with the Jesus that we learned about in Sunday school and in his nice white toga and the and the blue sash. He didn't curse in Sunday school. But here we have Jesus coming up, and we have this picture of of Jesus coming up to the fig tree, seeing it filled with leaves, which was a symbol that uh, that it was meant to be ripe with fruit. If you know anything about fig trees, that the leaves and the the fruit kind of go together. And he comes up, and and he's... There's no fruit, and he gets upset. He says, no figs for anybody ever again. That's it. And the funny thing is, too, and it's like a little kid. It says this, and the disciples heard him say it. (laughs) It's like, you know, like a little kid, like, so-and-so said, I heard him say it. Like, he did this bad thing, and I I heard him say it. Now, you know, what are you meant to do with that? Well, he's gonna, we're going to flash fast forward to uh, a different section, and then we're going to come circle. Mark's going to circle us back around, and, it, and I think it's going to give us some clarity. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple 
and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scripture declares, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Not just the Jews, but for all nations, the Gentiles too. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. Essentially, if you can get a, you know, kind of a picture of the, the temple layout, how the temple was laid out was, was uh, in a way of your relationship to God. At the very center of, of the table, of, of the temple, uh, was the Holy of Holies. Now, nobody went into the Holy Holies except once a year, the leading priest would, would go in there and he would go through a whole process before entering the Holy Holies because they felt like they were going into the very presence of God himself. And if you had any impurities in you, a God who is holy, absolutely pure, cannot have any impurity. So they would go through all this ritual to make sure that they were all confessed up and, and that they were living right and all this kind of stuff. But just in case, like the priest had some like secret closet sin and that, that nobody knew about, they would actually tie a rope around his leg. And as he entered in, they believed if you had sin in your life as you entered the Holy Holies, that God would strike you dead. So they would tie that rope and you would go in there and if Bob the priest, you know, got struck dead, you know, nobody else would want to go in there, right? So they'd tie the rope so they could pull him back out and bury him later. So that, that's, the, that's the idea here is the Holy Holy. Like this is, a, this is a very holy place. And then outside of that, that uh, you have kind of the, the temple uh, courtyard for the priests all hung out and then outside of that, you had the, the, uh, the courtyard for the Israeli men, for the Jewish men. Outside of that, you had a courtyard for, for Jewish women. And then outside of that, you had something called the court of the Gentiles. Now, and they were still in the, in the confines of, of the overall purpose and, and, and picture of, of the temple. So what's happening here is, is Jesus comes in and he surveys and he's in the, the court of the Gentiles that there is no room for really the Gentiles who are seeking out God to come and worship him and to seek out what he wants for their lives. There's really no room for them because all of this religious activity, all this stuff to to provide sacrifices and changing the money into the temple money and all that kind of stuff was, was crowding out the original purpose for the court of the Gentiles. And Jesus quoting the scriptures like, look, my house is for all nations, for all people, and your activities here are, are preventing people from pursuing me and finding out who God is and what He wants for their lives. And this angers Him. So he, he clears the temple. And I don't believe it's because of, of the actual activity that, that's going on. 
but because of the amount of, of activity that had, had pushed out the original purpose of, of that, that area. And that was for people who didn't know God to be able to seek Him out. And I think about you know, how other teachings that I've heard about this and, and some of the misunderstandings, you know, you know, some people get all bent out of shape when like a church has like a garage sale or, or you know, a, a bakery sale or, you know, whatever else churches, you know, do and things like that. They're like, Jesus would come in and tip your brownies over and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, no, he wouldn't. You know, that, 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 you're missing the point. You know, Jesus loves brownies too, I'm sure. You know, that, that, you know that, that, that's not what's going on here. What is going on here is something actually much more insidious. That, that, that these activities, were, which were actually legitimate activities, because imagine if you were, you know, this was the one big religious event of the year, Passover, if you were a Jew. And, and you, would, you would come and you would offer your, your sacrifice. Well, if you were traveling like 100 miles, you wouldn't want to bring like a goat, right? For 100 miles dragging along. So this, this was something that it actually made a lot of sense. To, so people could come and they could just buy their goat or their dove or, or whatever they wanted to buy there so they didn't need to drag it all the way from their original town but this activity had gone so far that it actually was preventing people from who were seeking god to find god and i think about just like okay what would jesus be upset about in in our churches in our local churches and i think that that, you know what, if we really took a step back and said, are, are any of our religious activities preventing people who are seeking God to entering in and experiencing Him? Is anything that we're doing preventing Him? Even though it might be a good thing and we think, oh, there, there may be a logistical reason for it, but but it's actually become a hindrance, an obstacle from someone hearing the gospel in a meaningful and understandable way. Well, Jesus is like, you know what? We need to clear that out. We need to clear that out. So Jesus clears this place out. And when the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began to plan how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed by his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree, he cursed. Remember the fig tree? The disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi! The fig tree you cursed, we heard it, has withered and died. Now, we have just closed what I would call a visual parable. We're very used to Jesus doing spoken parables, but I believe what we have here is an illustration of a greater spiritual truth 
in the act of, of a visual illustration. So what's going on here? If we remember, Jesus from a distance is hungry, that he has a need. And that he sees a fig tree that looks like it is in bloom, that it is producing fruit. It has big leafy leaves and, and, uh, and looks like it's producing fruit. So much so that he's like, oh, cool, a fig tree. You know, figs produce figs and I, I'd like to have one, so I'm going to walk over there. So he walks over there and when he gets there, the fig tree is all show and no go, right? That, 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 that it looks right. It has all of the trims and the trappings of a, of a fig tree, but none of the fruit. And he says, or curses the tree and says, Psh, you will never produce fruit. Then he goes to the temple, right? And then he comes back in the next day and the tree the disciples see that the tree is completely dead. So what is going on here? Is Jesus just completely lost it? Or is Jesus trying to communicate something of, of eternal significance to us? Well, if you think about it, especially just how it is written and, and how the story of him clearing the temple is in the center of this visual parable, you know, coincidence I think not. I think that there's something going on with the temple. If you could think about the temple and you think about Passover and you think about all the pomp and the circumstance, and this is the, 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 the pinnacle of the, of, the, of the Jewish calendar. And if you could imagine coming into Jerusalem and seeing the temple, how magnificent that must have been. But not only the temple, but everything that's going on around it. Could you imagine the majesty of all the people and they're all focused and they're singing Hosanna and, and you come up there and you see everybody with their sacrifices. You see all the, you know, the high-ranking uh, priests and the rabbis. Everybody is there. It's like a, the who's who of the ancient Middle East. And as you come up, to this, 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 this symbol of what you think should be producing this massive amount of fruit is as the conduit of God's love and good deeds to a lost and hurting people. As you come up and you come into the temple, all you see is the pomp and the circumstance, but no fruit. And I think if you rewind back to the triumphant entry, it starts to make a little bit more sense that Jesus is coming in, all this pomp and circumstance, all of this kind of stuff, and He gets to the temple, He gets to the fig tree. And it's barren. So what does He do? He walks around the temple and just takes things in. He looks at everything looking for one piece of fruit. And when he doesn't see any, he leaves. And he comes back the next day and he starts to remove obstacles from 
things that are preventing what was holy, what was set aside for God's purpose from doing what it was meant to do. Now, I want you to stick with me through this. It's, it, it's a little cumbersome, but I don't know a lot about fig trees. My parents had a fig tree. I, I, they look weird. Um, and to be honest with you, even though I had a fig tree growing up, the closest I've ever come to eating a fig is a fig Newton. <clears throat> I'm actually not opposed to it now as an adult. I would actually try one. Uh, but back then, they were just it wasn't really top on my list. But I, so I decided, you know what? I want to understand this, 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 this kind of parable and see if like, it even goes deeper. So I actually uh, jumped on uh, Google and Google fig trees and things like that. And, and uh, this one report came up and it was really interesting uh, in, in a lot of different ways. And it's talking about the, actually the, the culture that a fig needs in order to produce fruit. And I think that this, this parable, this visual parable that Jesus is doing and, and this additional, this, this tree, that it's a very unique tree, that, that it has some very unique characteristics. First off, location that a fig tree requires full sun all day to ripen palatable fruits. That that this understanding that, you know what, a fig tree can grow and, and it could even produce fruit, but if it's not in the light of full light all day of the sun, that, that it's going to produce an inferior fruit. And it may even produce a fruit that, that is bitter to the taste. And I think that so often the, the bigger spiritual connection of this is, you know what, if you look at us as followers of Christ, that if we are a, 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 a proverbial fig tree, that, that, you know what? What kind of fruit are we producing? And is the fruit, is it sweet? Is it, is it what it was intended to be? Or is it something else? And as we think about that, you know, what, what are some of the causes of, of, of us who, in our lives, that, that restrict us from producing the fruit that God has envisioned us to bear. And maybe the first and most simple thing is we're just not in full light of the sun. That we're not in full light of the, of the Son of God and just basking in His glory. The next thing is irrigation. Young fig trees should be watered regularly until fully established. You know, are we getting the living water, especially... Those of us who are young in our faith, are we, are we in Scripture? Are we in growth groups? Are we, are we getting the, 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 the irrigation that is required to build strong roots and to, to grow strong as a tree? Uh, this next one, pruning. Fig trees are productive with or without heavy pruning. It is only essential to heavily prove, prune during the initial years. Why? That's so amazing to me because you think about, 
You think about people who've been walking with Christ and following Christ for, for decades and really have submitted their life, you know, not in a sham way, not in, in, in an external way, but really settled deep down in their, in their hearts and in their souls that they are going to follow Christ. You know, there, there comes a point where, where, you know, heavy pruning, all the heavy pruning was done. And, and it's not required anymore. That, that, that you know, slight pruning, pruning is always going to happen, but the heavy pruning is in the initial phases of a young fig tree. I know me as a young fig tree, as a young follower of Christ, man, there was, I had growths going all out, all different places, and there was some heavy pruning that needed to happen. And that pruning was hurtful, hurt, hurt, and it was scary at times. Sometimes I, I thought that one of my branches was, was, you know, it even maybe showed a little bit of fruit, but just submitting to the authority of others and God, just like, you know what? No, that limb has to go off. I'm like, yeah, but look, it's, a, it's growing. It, 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 it's like, no, heavy pruning. That, that can be scary, real scary. Because you don't know if it's going to grow back. You don't know if something better is going to, to come back in its place. I remember as a kid, you know, you watch your parents like, like prune trees and you're like, you're crazy. You know, what, what are you doing chopping off all the limbs? You've lost your mind. But we all know that that is essential for healthy growth. Fertilization. I love this. Regular fertilizing of figs is usually necessary, necessary only for potted trees. You know what? If we continue the metaphor of, of, of us being fig trees and to produce fruit, you know what? We have to be regularly fertilized when, when we were, are not outside doing and being in the environment that God created us to be. It's when we are taken out of the, the environment that God intended us to be and we stick ourselves in an environment that restricts our root growth and restricts our growth, that is when we have to put all these external kind of things into our soil because, you know what? We're relying more on the pot than Jesus' plan. And I'll just, I'll just flat out say it like that. That, that so many times that, that you know, our, our faith was not meant to be controlled. Probably the biggest lie that's ever been perforated, perforated on, the, on the Christian church is the isolation. Let's take our faith, let's put it in a little pot, and let's put it inside so it'll protect us from every little bug or or bad weather change or anything like that and you know what what happens to us when we do that the same thing it happens to a fig tree we never grow into 
uh, the fruit-producing tree that we were designed to be. Propagation. You know how you you get more fig trees? Fig trees are usually propagated by cuttings. It's so different than like other other trees and other things that that there's this idea of this intensity behind getting another fig tree. And how is that? You actually have to go through the pain of cutting. And I just, I think about like the Moreaus down in Guatemala or, or uh, that, that, you know what, that, that they were part and are part of this community, like their DNA is part of this community, but, but, but we pruned our local church a little bit with the intentionality of taking that cutting and planting it somewhere else. Why? So that tree would grow and produce fruit in a place that, that we could not touch or, or love or, or be with on a regular basis. And you talk about like, you know, like a living tree and you think about the tree where it's scary. You know, it's scary for us to see the Monroes go. They served a lot in this church. They gave, they served, they loved. And, and to, to do that cutting and then think about them as the cutting, the cut, whatever, the thing, the twig. What do you call that? A cutting. And, uh, you know, them is the cutting and, and being taken away from their local church, the loneliness, the fear of what, does, what if it doesn't take and all of this kind of stuff. And just, you know, on, bo- on both sides, of, uh, just this fear. And, and, but there's an in- you have to be intentional. And intentionally taking part of this away in order to propagate, in order to reach farther out. And then I just want to leave about the fig parable, this visual parable with this. Commercial potential. I was trying to think, and I'm restricted on my thought on this because I don't think I've actually ever looked to go buy a fig. But... But I don't remember ever seeing figs, like I see oranges and apples and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, you really don't see like figs in publics or, or definitely not like a Walmart or a Costco or anything like that. You know, why? Why is that? Well, I found out and you're about to too. Because of losses in transport and short shelf life. That because you, that, that there's something about the nature of figs that prevent them from becoming commercialized and to become a commercial product. And when people have tried, because figs have to be picked ripe, 
or they don't ripen off the vine, that, that if you buy, actually can find a place to buy a fig you know, somewhere, that it is actually going to be an inferior fig than if you got it from a local source. And they go, go on and says, the best outlet for, to buy a fig is a farmer. Now, jump over to the eternal kind of spiritual truth here. You know, that lots of people have tried to commercialize and shrink wrap Christianity. But I think that all of us have realized that if we have ever bought that product, that there's something seriously lacking. I wish it could be done, to be honest with you. It would be so much easier. I wish that I could mass produce Christianity and shrink wrap it and put it in Costco and let them distribute it. Wouldn't that be great? But the truth is that that is not what God is all about. We say it here all the time. What is God about? God is about having a, you know, having a relationship with us. That life is about having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. And you cannot commercialize or shrink wrap relationships. Relationships are best. The best outlet for that is a direct connection. And that puts all the responsibility as the conduit of God's love and grace back on us. For better or for worse, that comes back, it is our responsibility to be connecting with our friends and family and being that love that is offered to people. This is quite a, a, a visual parable that, that, that Jesus is presenting here. That there's so much richness of, 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 of just who we are meant to be. That, that, that you know what, that Jesus, this idea of that Jesus requires an ROI, a return on investment of us. That, that we are not planted, that we are, we are not planted just to be a leafy tree taking up space, but that, that God wants us to produce fruit. His fruit. Finishing up, it says, again, Jesus was walking through the temple area and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and the elders came up to Him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I tell, I'll tell you what the, by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven... He will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we dare to say it was merely human, 
for they were afraid that what people they were afraid of what people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, "We don't know." Excellent answer, right? And Jesus responded, "Then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things." And Jesus had just cleared the temple, cleared, cleared. Actually, probably a better way to put that would be make room for people to seek Him. He just made room. And the religious rulers are like, by what authority are you making room? By what authority are you making room for people seeking God? By clearing out our religious systems and our religious ceremonies, and these kind of things. And Jesus looks at him and says, look, if you, if you can't figure that out by now, then I have no answer. I'm not going to tell you. Because you, like the fig tree, are never going to produce fruit. I gone too long? <laughs> Time's up. You've... And he walked and he continues on. Out of today, as I, as I look at this, as we enter into Holy Week, that this is the realizations that I came to. Number one, that Jesus expects figs when he comes to a fully mature fig tree. Jesus expects fruit from our lives. The other thing is that we're not to crowd out people seeking God by our religious activities. I think about Easter next week as we're in Leon and... and you know, there's the one aspect of, of you know what, it's going to be so cool to have our whole church together at one time. But that cannot overshadow the fact that there are going to be people coming who are seeking God and, and if He cares about them and seeking what He wants for their lives. And those of us who are meant to already be fig trees have to be alert and aware and, and put aside you know, the idea of, oh, you know what, I'm coming to church and I want to do this and i got to get this done and I da, 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 da. And say, you know what, I need to intentionally make room for those who are seeking God. And then finally, this is the question I just want to leave you for Holy Week. Just a personal question. Who's the authority in your life? I've been a pastor now for 10 years. And one of the primary differences I see for people who are doing this life well 
in those who are, I'll just say, a complete basket case? Are people who can answer that I have authority bigger than myself in my life? That at some point, being able to say, you know what, God, I submit my will to yours. And even if I don't get it, I understand that you are a loving God. And if you've called me to do this, then I'm just going to do it. Because you are the ultimate authority in my life. You guys pray with me. Dear God, we just give you this coming week, this holy week, not this holy week as a week that is absolutely pure, but a holy week that is set aside for your purpose. And that means it can be messy. But it'll be yours. God, I just pray that you grow and stretch us during this next week and that as we enter and uh, we continue toward Easter and we celebrate you raising from the dead, that we will be able to just experience firsthand just how great you are. We love you, Lord Jesus.